Welcome, everyone. And uh, for those of you online, sorry that we are getting started a little bit later this morning. I had the worship team do... Can somebody turn that off, by the way? Um, somehow. Otherwise, it's going to drive me nuts all, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had them redo a song this morning. It was a, a song right after the, the welcome um, dry bones. Is that what it's called? Rattle. rattle. Okay, yeah, rattle. <laughs> Same thing. Rattle the dry bones. There you go. Um, I had him do it again right before I got up here this morning because of the vision that the Lord gave me during the first time they sang it, and he gave it to me again uh, during the second time. And, and that was this movement, not within people, which was interesting. The, the movement I saw was not within the churches. It was not within people. It was not within any of that. Not within buildings, not within anything man-made. It was within creation itself. And it was this stirring, this urge of, of what Jesus said when he was coming into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. When he said, look, if, if, if they don't praise, the very rocks are going to. And what I saw was this movement, this stirring, this agitation in a positive way. That's the best way I could put it. Creation is already getting ready for this move of God. It has been ready. It will cry out if his church does not. It will even cry out when his church does. Because there is no holding back what the Holy Spirit is about to do. There's no holding back. The only choice is, are you going to be there with it or not? That's literally the choice. Because the shaking has begun. The movement has begun. We've been feeling it for a long time, just in the movement. You, you hear prophetically all the time about the shaking, right? The shaking's been coming. It's been here for, for months. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than, than feeling this shaking in the spirit of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Because it will manifest in the real that we see in our three-dimensional world plus time. It will manifest. That's the shaking that is coming on. The very shaking that will encourage some, terrify others. That's really an awesome thought when you think about it. Because you can do one of three things with God. You can ignore Him and pretend He's not even there. Or you can be afraid of him because by his very breath you breathe. But be afraid because you don't see him as a God who cares for you. Or you could be one who recognizes his love for you. Recognizes who you are to him. And the shaking will 
affect those three different types of people in three different ways, even though the shaking itself will be the same. It will be creation. That was, I wanted them to sing it again because that was just so powerful a vision of what God is doing. And this, and we are not in, we're, we're not looking forward to the time of it happening. Right? I'll use the term, we're in the shoot. In other words, we can't, we can't get out. The motion has begun. It will move forward. The Lord said that to us the other night. Or Jesus did. He said that it has already begun and nothing will turn back what the Father has started. Nothing. It has begun. Whether you believe it or not, it's begun. Whether you believe I'm standing here or not speaking to you, I am. See, it doesn't hinge on what you believe. That's where the foundation of my truth versus your truth even comes from. See, there is a truth. There is a single God. There is not God and Mohammed and Jesus and Buddha. There's one God. There is one God manifest in a trinity. And that one God has one voice. He will not tell people one thing and go tell another people something opposite of what he just said. Problem is, we either hear him wrong, hear him differently, interpret it differently, or we're listening to the wrong voices. It's really that simple. And that's all over the world. That is how Satan has been so effective in taking God's bride, those who have accepted his son as savior, and dismantled them and split them up. It just, it's extraordinary to me what gets in the way of people being, being together and banding together. It's, it's just amazing to me. I don't, I don't understand it, although I understand it enough because I used to be the same. Do you see what I'm saying? But that's not what God wants. It's not what he wants. I was with him this morning just in... <laughs> Let me back up. Because you, you, know, you know how the Lord does with me in terms of what to speak on and, and when he gives it to me and that sort of thing. And yesterday, I was just praying, because we're in these difficult times, and because really what we are facing are difficult times, okay, for this world, for, for um, those who would not follow Christ. We're facing these difficult times, and, and yesterday I'm, I'm just, uh, um, just praying, Lord, give me something encouraging. <laughs> Everything coming out of my mouth is, is so, so heavy and, and everything else. And I, I'm, I'm not sure that, that there will ever, at least in the foreseeable future, come a point where that's completely gone because that, that's just what he's doing. But he had me watch, and this is going to sound funny to, to those of you who, who don't interact 
with the father constantly, but he had me watch a movie yesterday. And it was funny, I've seen the movie a million times, and I love the movie. And, um, you know, you would think that, that part of the preparation is get in, dig into the Word of God and, and this and that. And it, no, he had me watch a movie. You ever see Rudy? Love, love, love that movie, right? If, if, you, if you like football or ever played football, that is like, that is like the movie of movies. It is an awesome movie. It's, it's a story, it's a true story of, of a, a young man, actually going into college, was not young, he was older. But he was small. For football standards, especially college top ten football standards, he was trainer material. <laughs> a trainer is somebody who helps the football team. You know, wrap ankles, that sort of thing. That really was his only hope. But throughout the movie, he his dream was to be recognized and play on Notre Dame's football team. This was back, I think, in 74 and 75. For most of you, that was like centuries ago. Right? Okay, but his dream, he never dropped. He saw it so clearly that nothing else got in the way. And, and so it was interesting after that, I, I thought, well, well Lord, I mean, that, that's so awesome. That's, that's literally how I see what you're doing. What you're doing today. We know that things are coming that are difficult. We know the difficulties even that we have already gone through, and it's nothing compared to what's coming. But do you see the giant in that? Or do you see the plan behind that? That's the question that he posed to me. Do you see the giant that comes to stand in front of you and say, you cannot do this? Or do you see the plan behind it? And I'm not talking about God's plan. You, you have to see that before you could even recognize the plan of the enemy. I'm talking about, do you see the giant or do you see the plan of the enemy behind the giant? And the Lord brought my thoughts to David. And that's where I want to go this morning. I, I don't even know fully what he's going to do. I, I feel like reading David's whole life story, because it honestly speaks for itself. There's nothing really that isn't already said in there. And, and so we're, we're just going to begin by reading in 1 Samuel. Now, what I will do, just explain some of this before we get into reading every verse. But, uh, you know, you have in, in 1 Samuel 16 where, you know, by this time Saul was rejected as king. Saul was Israel's first king. They wanted a king. Give us a king. Give us a tall guy. Right? Now, by the way, that doesn't mean tall guys aren't cool. Problem was, he probably was cool. It just wasn't cool for God. Right? They wanted their own idea of a king, not what God wanted for them. So, verse 16 goes through where, you know, Saul is already... Uh, rejected by God, he is sent, God sends Samuel out to go anoint the next king. He goes to 
you know, Lord takes him to the, uh, to Jesse's home. He has eight sons, but he only brings seven of them out, you know, because even his father never dreamt that it would be David, his son. David really was set aside on every level, right? On every single level. But, and, and I'll just read a couple verses in here. You don't have to turn to these uh, yet, but if you want to, it's a, a verse, second part of verse 7. It says, For the Lord sees not a man as a man sees, but looks on the outward appearance, or as the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, that's the prequalification for being effective for God. It's not the talents he gives you. And by the way, those aren't bad. He gives them to you for a reason. He gave the worship team talent for a reason. So they could do what they're supposed to do, giving it to the Lord. But the effectiveness is not predicated upon that. First, it is about their heart. It was about David's heart. And to be a king of Israel, the most important thing to begin with was that you were starting with the heart after God. And that's what he was saying to Samuel. Don't, don't even look at these other seven, right? Because Samuel even went to the, well, this must be him because, you know, he's the number one son and, look at, and went on down the line and it wasn't any of those. Finally, he got through all seven and, and said, Wait, do you not have any others? Which is astounding to me as a father. You would think that you would bring them all out no matter what. But David was literally set aside by his own father in terms of thinking he could be the one. That's an extraordinary thought. It's like, Dad, yo. You know, I, 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 got, I got possibilities here. He finally brings David out, and you know the story. Lord says, this is him. The Lord, uh, Samuel then anoints him. The Spirit of the Lord, it said, rushed upon him at that moment and never left him. By the way, that's an extraordinary thought, because it wasn't immediately that he became king. And yet, if you look in your Bible... at least in my Bible, ESV, and it's what it says in the Word of God. It says David was anointed king. Wait a second. He didn't become king yet. There's an example right there of where things happen in the spirit before they happen in the physical. Rest assured, that is a pattern you will see when you look for it every time. That battle is fought in the spirit before it is fought in the physical. Doesn't mean the physical won't come. Sometimes the battle in the spirit is so the physical does not come. But rest assured, the spirit is where the real battle begins and ends. So let's go down. I'm going to skip the rest where where David is brought into Saul's service. Um, But let's go down to chapter 17. Because this is the real testing of David. This is the real moment where he is made to 
make a choice. And you'll see, for him, it was no choice at all. It wasn't even a thought. Keep in your mind the question, do you see the giant or do you see the plan behind the giant? Let's, I'm just going to start reading because I, I really want to absorb a lot of this. <clears throat> Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between, between Succoth and Ezekah and some other place. I won't even try it. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up a line in a battle against Philistines, which obviously you know the Philistines are their arch enemies, right? They, they were completely against each other. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. That's a little taller than, uh, than Saul, right? And they, saw, they thought Saul was the best because he was their king. Anyways, Saul was also a little older at this point. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he, uh, he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. This was heavy. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Who do you think Saul and Israel saw? Did they see the giant? Or did they see the plan behind the giant? See, recognize that there are two things here. There's a plan. There is a giant, and he's giant. But there's a plan behind the giant. You've got to recognize this is not just a political scene. This is not just Israel that is a nation fighting against another nation. This is Israel who are God's chosen people. These are God's children whom he cares for, whom he speaks through, whom he set up to be dominant. And they're looking upon this and not seeing the plan behind it. See, the plan behind it was to destroy Israel. The plan behind it was Satan's plan to bring Israel under subjection to whom Satan controlled. Think about that for a second. 
See, because if you think on a linear level, if you think on a three-dimensional level, you are already in trouble. Because you'll never see what's going on now. Right now, the situation we're in, in the world, and in America, obviously, because that's where we are. Do you see the giant? Or do you see the plan behind the giant? It's easy to recognize if you look at it in a spiritual way and recognize there is a plan behind it. What is that plan? No different than it was back then. The plan is control. That's all Satan's ever wanted. He's wanted to come against God's people to control them. And, and don't, don't assume it's just to defend what he has. Don't assume that. He wants to consume everything he could get his hands on. He's not satisfied with God just leaving him, him alone. His pride that made him fall in the first place drives him to conquer. That's why it's war. That's why it's war in the spirit. That's why when the church does not pay attention to that battlefield, they have already lost. When the church says, well, we don't pay attention to Satan, you know, the more we talk about him, the more power we give him. Sorry, guys, you couldn't be more wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. That baloney is being fed to you by the one whom you are supposed to be a conqueror over. See, in order to see the plan, you've got to see the battlefield. You've got to be able to recognize the battlefield. Israelites couldn't. They couldn't see past the giant. They couldn't see past the, how in the world do we get past this huge obstacle? I'm sure in their minds they're starting to think, okay, what will life be like when we're servants? Think about it. What will life be like? Perhaps they called it a new normal. Maybe life will be like this new normal. You know, maybe we'll be their servants, but, but maybe they'll let us do this. Maybe they'll let us do that. We might have to wear masks because they don't want to see our faces as Israelites. But they'll let us still live in our homes. They'll let us be together, maybe a few at a time, because they don't want an uprising. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious, but do you see how the same thing was going on? The same thing. We have evidence that that's how they thought because they were not going against this giant. They were already seeing defeat because they were not seeing the battle had to be won in the Spirit. The battle had to be won with a righteous heart. Not a heart that was already laced with fear. Oh, this story is awesome. 
Every bit of it applies to today. Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, the next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said, by the way, let me point something out there. Satan's not stupid. In order for him to build fear, he uses time to do it. The more you think on a carnal level, the more you react on a carnal level, the time that builds in that gives him time to gain authorities. See, see, you see, Satan's fighting that spiritual battle. He's fighting it. And when we don't even show up to fight that, it gets worse. That's what happened here. They didn't show up to fight in the spirit. They didn't go before God and say, what are we to do? We're your children and he's defying you. What are we to do? They didn't do that. They just listened for 40 days that he was saying, Hey, won't you send one person out? Because, see, if we all fight and a lot of you die, then we have less servants. We have less slaves. It's better for you to at least live. At least live than be a slave. And see, on a human level, that makes sense. Well, yeah, I, I guess I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather be a slave than die. Yeah. Yeah, cause, cause maybe, maybe we'll still be able to do good things while, while we're slaves. You know, maybe we'll still be able to have friends and maybe we could, I mean, we still love each other. We still get to eat. We still get to be together. Do you see how it's easy to slip into the new normal? Recognize beyond the giant that there is a plan in that. There's a plan that the enemy, Satan himself, has for that. Where was I? 14? No. No, I'm past that. 17? Okay. And Jesse said to David, his son, Take your brothers and ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token for them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went. And Jesse had commanded him and he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. Although we know that's not why he went. 
And he talked with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. But see, this time David heard him. Verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? And the people answered him, saying in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. See, David saw right away. You you can imagine, and see if this resonates with you, where you see right away the battlefield in a situation, but the people around you do not. How, How do you... How do you jump from getting them to understand what you see versus what they see? That's a difficult leap. It's a difficult jump. Because absence of the Holy Spirit and that heart that is ready to receive it can't be done. It cannot be done. That's why it didn't happen here. See, David's words weren't flowing and encouraging to where they all saw the real plan and, oh yes, we serve the living God and we can go and defeat. That didn't happen. Nothing he said could change their minds because it begins in their heart. It doesn't mean these people were not God's chosen people. Just like today, it doesn't mean that people are not God's children saved through his son, the Messiah. It's that their heart, they have not allowed their hearts to even comprehend what is beyond what they see in the giant. Now Eliab, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down here? And And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Do you you sense a little condemnation? Condescension? Condescension here? Yes. The big C word. Do you you sense it though? Do you sense that he was just a tad bit condescending to us? It's like, seriously, dude, what are you away from the sheep? You know, those those four sheep back home. I, I need to eat one of those one day. You need to take care of it. I've never had a brother, but I know people who have had older brothers, and and yes, they could be condescending. See, I could use the story that I had a younger sister, and I was very condescending to her, but that's not self-serving, so I won't use that example. But siblings can be condescending to siblings. That's what's going on there. I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. (laughs) David, dude, what have I done now? I mean, isn't that 
the youngest in the group. Like, why are you all coming down on me? What did I do this time? See, David already shut them off in the back of his head a long time ago. It's just white noise to him. Because he had his eye on something different. Verse 30, and he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again. I'm done with you. I'll just talk to other people. Verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to, to fight with him, for you're but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Which, which is funny because it was like literally earlier that day. But. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. There are two points there. Don't miss. Because this is when the spiritual battle becomes physical. But there are two things that happen there. Recognize the plan behind the giant is to produce fear. That very fear when it is turned back on them, annihilates them. Recognize the fear that they put out is also what they will absorb when it's stood up to. So when, when literally one of the lambs was taken by the lion, he said, I went and I would get it out of his mouth. Does that mean he went and fought the lion? But no, part of that was the fear that the lion had of this guy coming after him. It's like, wait a second, this isn't supposed to work this way. Why is he coming after me? He's so small. Something's wrong. I'm missing something. Let me let go of this lamb. That's the first part. But when there were lions that would recognize, wait a second, I'm bigger than he is. I'll just turn and go after him. Then that still didn't stop David. David then, I don't know how you grab a lion's beard when his mouth is roaring at you. But he figured out how to do it. God led him how to do it doesn't matter how you do it, how he did it. The thing you want to recognize there is there was no hesitation. No hesitation to allow fear in. There was reaction of a pure heart. That's wrong. I'm doing something about it. Period. That's how he reacted to the lions. That's how he reacted to the bears. That's how he reacted to Goliath. Verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. By the way, understand what he means when he says uncircumcised Philistine. Understand what that means, and I don't mean physically. Understand he's saying, this is not a child of God. This is not a person who loves God who has been chosen by the God of creation. He said, he's one from the other side. 
In fact, and I won't go down this rabbit hole and, and take the time to do it, but this was literally a child of Satan. He was in the same lines as the Nephilim. Very interesting study if you want to go trail off and take that study. So, so what David was seeing was a battle, literally, of good versus evil. Right? And his reaction was action. Because it offended him. Of what was said. Just like it offended him when the lion would come. And take something that was his family's. So he said. He will be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37. And David said. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion. And from the paw of the bear. Will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David. Go and the Lord be with you. First of all, thank you, Saul. Thank you. Thank you that he did that. There had to be something inside of him that had hope. That may not have believed it himself. But, but, but understand. Understand the risk Saul took here. Because uh, I, I know so much about Saul's life was, was turning away from God. But understand the risk Saul took here. By sending that one person to battle Goliath, he subjected all of Israel to be slaves if he lost. So there had to be something inside of Saul that said, I know the God of Israel. You don't look like much. But I know the God of Israel and nobody else is willing to do it. You're standing up for Israel. Go, go. I mean, that's, that's a sobering thought. When you recognize what he... It, it wasn't like, yeah, go and try, and then if it doesn't work for you, then we'll figure someone else out. and we'll st-. No, this was it. This was the line was drawn in the sand. They give their best. Philistines give their best. And whatever the outcome, it is what it is. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail, And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, (laughs) for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I can't go with these. I've not tested them. In other words, I, I, I can't even move in this. I don't even know how to move in this. Then David said to, uh, uh, So David put them off. Then he took his staff into his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Imagine what's on his mind. Do you not think he saw the battlefield? Of course he did. Do you think he he didn't see the giant? Of course he did. I don't know how big a weaver's beam is. But I'm guessing it's, a, it's probably like that. It's probably a couple inches at least. And that was just the shaft of his spear. Right? You can imagine facing this guy. And you're walking toward him with the army behind him, your army behind you. You're walking down. There's nobody there to help you. Yet you ever see the movie Troy? Okay, in Troy, it was a scene like that where, where the guy came and he said, send your best. 
Boy, an opposite turnout, by the way. The guy went out there and pretty much got destroyed, became a coward. All that could have been running through David's mind. Going out there, well, Lord, I, I know that you gave me these stones to sling. I don't, I don't even have a sword. I'm going to trust in what you gave me. But, Lord, please, please don't help me miss. Or, or help me not to miss. Please. You can imagine his thoughts. When, when we step into a battle, it doesn't mean that we don't have conflict in our hearts. Yes, we're going to have conflict in our hearts. Yes, we're going to step into that valley. It, it's, you can know what's going to happen. You can have confidence in what God has told you to do and step in that confidence. It doesn't mean you don't go with recognizing what you're stepping into. Okay? Recognize what David would have been thinking. Where am I? Uh... And the Philistines moved forward and came near David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked at and saw David, he, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you've come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And see, that reveals a flaw of the enemy. And it's the same today as it was back then. Because, see, the enemy, the true enemy, Satan, and his plan, he has to use people. But, see, those people that become pawns in his plan, they don't know him. They don't know God. They don't know the battlefield. They just know what he has enriched them with. So all they see is the material physical, just like, just like Goliath did, this little, this little gnat coming up to me to fight. That's all he saw. Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, he makes a prediction, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the beasts, wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. Recognize what he's saying there. David is not just seeing the battle between he and Goliath. He said, today... The armies of the Philistines will be fed. Their flesh will be fed to the birds of the air. He was already looking beyond the giant to destroy the plan that was behind him. 
you following me? You, you with me on this? If you are, go like this. Okay. See, it's about seeing what's in front of you, really. Not just what steps there. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank so deep into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. I don't even know if, if Goliath had a moment to think what just happened. <laughs> I, I really don't. I, and and I, I kind of wish he had. But it was like, doink, right to the ground. Right to the ground. You can imagine the scene here. Even, even imagine David. Okay, when you step in the will of God... Uh, you can't tell me, I'm sorry guys, you can't tell me you haven't felt this way, because I have felt this way so many times, where you're stepping in the will of God, you don't, you know prophetically, you know how He has told you it would turn out, and you're stepping in that, and when it turns out that way, you're like, oh, that was awesome, that was, it was real. Wow, God, thank you. Thank you, that was, that was real, I got it right. I understood, and you did it through me. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in his hand in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, the Philistine's sword, and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. See how fear when it's produced from the enemy in his plan, when it turns on him, Satan can't do anything about it. When those demonic spirits of fear are released, they consume. They just consume. That's all they know how to do is just consume. So when it was turned because of what happened, they still consume. They went after the very plan that was put together to destroy Israel. And the people of Israel, wait. And the, men, and the men of Israel and Judah rose up with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. <laughs> I don't know what he was going to do with that armor. Maybe build a house out of it. I don't know. And, and we, we don't need to, well, let, let's just finish up 17. And soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. It's like, I have no clue who this kid is. Where did he come from? I have no idea. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? 
And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. David's life is incredible to just dive into and to study. Because this was not the only testing in his life. The only testing of his faith. In, in so many ways, his entire life was that. For David, it was the expectation of stepping in faith. Because he knew. He knew what God was going to do. Where are we today? And I speak to the bride. I, I want to encourage the bride for a second because I know like us, many pastors, many people out there all over the world see themselves as not being able to do anything because they are so small. Having a mind frame that numbers are what make the difference. Guess what? Satan dismantles numbers. If you don't believe me, open your eyes. What has he done with the church right now? The church is afraid to meet. He has already dismantled the church in many ways. But that's not the real battlefield. The real battlefield is in the spirit. And the only requirement to fight in that battle is what David had. He had a pure heart before the Lord. He had a recognition that I will give my very life to the one who comes against the one who gave me life. Where do we come to the point of understanding that our life is ours? Where do we do that? See, before we were Christians, you might say our life was ours, but our life was also very temporary. But when we accepted Jesus Christ into our heart, we were purchased. Our life was purchased. So we have a responsibility then to understand he who purchased us. That's what David did. David knew his Lord and it offended him what Goliath was saying. It offended him to his core. It offended him to the point where action was required in spite of any other feelings. In spite of fear. In spite of lack. I have seen with ignition, we're a small church. We're 50 people in a home. And we have been, by the way, for a long time. God has kept us that way on purpose. Because the battles that he has us fight and has had us fight had to be won first. 
But in order to even recognize that, you've got to look past the giant. Recognize that it's a giant. That it's not, it's, it's almost like a diversion. It's not the real threat. The real threat is behind it. What's going on today, the coronavirus is not the real threat, guys. It's just not. I mean, do you know that right now the death rate in America, just, let's just take America for now. The death rate to this point is three one thousandths of one percent. And yet, we are all locked in our homes for the fear of what it could be. Why are we all living near, or why are many people living near active volcanoes? I mean, that has a greater chance. Wait a second, why do we ever get in cars and go outside and drive to the stores that are essential so I could get my mulch and, you know, get wood for the deck and whatever? Why would we even get in cars? Because it's a much greater percentage to be killed in a car accident than in this. Anytime you have this argument with somebody, they will come back with something that they only can come back with. And it's a tall tale tale. Tall tale tale of one thing, and that's fear. What if? What if? Well, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if everybody did get it? What if half the nation died? What if the world was gone? What if, what if, what if? You know, what if Wormwood hit now? If you want to worry about something, how about we worry about something that will kill a third of the earth? For those of you who don't know, Wormwood is an asteroid that in the tribulation, will hit the earth and will kill a third of the earth. You want to worry about something? Man, I don't know. Worry about something cooler. (laughs) That's something you can worry about. I mean, really. You want to worry about something? Worry about getting burned when you're out working on your front lawn. Or mosquitoes in Nigeria that literally can carry you away. There, that's something that you can worry about. Now, here's the problem. We're not in charge. Okay, I get that. We're not in charge. By the way, the people are supposed to be in charge. We're just not. And certainly not a single voice in charge. But does it mean that you act in fear? No. Where's the body of Christ rising up to see the plan behind the giant? See the plan behind the giant. I'm telling you right now, the coronavirus is not the issue. In fact, it has taken away from the real issue. It will be gone. It will not be an issue. But what God is about to do is and will be.
See, if you're not willing to see the battle that cannot be seen, guess what? You'll see it soon because he's going to bring it to the reality of our three dimensions. Because he wants his bride to believe. Believe with a pure heart. Let's come on up. That is such a great story, isn't it? So, so many lessons from it. Um, you know, I was thinking about each of us in ignition and many of us waiting on our promises, both as a, as a church and individually and things that God's spoken over our lives. And one thing that stood out to me with David is this showdown with Goliath came after he was anointed. And if you can imagine how often we, when waiting on a promise, can easily go into a place of offense and a... Uh, we sang about it in one of our worship songs that he's, he's going to finish what he started. He's not going to fail us. He's not going to start now. But think about it. If David didn't have that personal relationship with God, which is reflected all through the Psalms, and you get to hear him pour out these songs and these prayers, but he knew his God. He knew. Uh, he had a personal relationship. So that is what gave him the confidence. It wasn't a, well, what happened? You know, how come I'm not king? And if you notice, when, when his brother spoke to him, that was Satan, mm-hmm. by the way. Amen. That was the demonic influence speaking out, saying, testing his motive. You're not, you're not here for that. You're here because you're full of pride. You're here because you're on a power trip, and you want to see a battle, and you want to, you want to manipulate things and, and, and get, your, get your promise before it's time, and, and you're not here for the right reasons. And... Rest assured, and this has happened to almost all of us, there will be a demonic message, word, temptation that comes out of people, sometimes even our loved ones, inadvertently, that will test and will challenge and will poke and will um, try to derail us or try to tell us something about the posture of our heart that isn't true. Mm-hmm. And you know, the other thing I noticed is I, one of my verses that I, I love, 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 Second Corinthians 10.5, I quote it all the time about casting down imaginations and taking your thoughts captive. There's an interesting thing that happens if we don't practice that in our walk with the Lord. Because if you see at the very beginning of the chapter that Greg read, when it talks about the Philistine armies were gathered, okay, they, were, they coordinated themselves. It says that Saul countered and gathered his armies, okay? So they were poised, army, armies against armies, to have this showdown. So where was the breakdown in cha- letting the, the, the plan and the suggestion of, well, let's just do one-on-one here. We'll show you one of our big guys, and we'll go one-on-one. Where was the, um, the strategy of, leading his army and saying, we're not doing one-on-one. We're poised as a single unit, united, to fight you. I want to just suggest to you that if David had been king in that situation, he would have just gone, look, 
good suggestion, but our armies are poised. We're united. We're going to fight you. Use your big guys. Use your little guys. We're coming to get you. And he wouldn't have even gone along with a plan like that. So something broke down when there was a, a strategy of intimidation. And I know Shannon has given this verse. I've done it several times, but I love Philippians 1.28. When Paul was encouraging the Philippian church, don't be intimidated by your enemies because this will be a sign unto them that they will be destroyed. And I have to tell you, there is, um, and, and it's not, um, it's something that's lost if you're not discern, discerning and walking in the spirit. It can be lost on you. But if you're discerning at all, it's pretty evident that there is a rise of witchcraft like we have never seen before. There is um, a shift. And, and what witchcraft does is if there is a summoning of a flurry of demonic activity to just knock people out, wear them out, to these lying spirits. It's, it's happening now through so many media voices, these, these demonic authorities that are... They are the absolute opposite of 2 Corinthians 10.5. It's not casting down any imaginations. It's agreement with all these suggestions and these lies. And then they come out and they're empowered when they come out of the voices that are just stoking fear. Just fear everywhere. And we have to be very aware of the strategies of the enemy. Or we can get knocked out even after a battle. You look at First Kings 19. This is right after chapter 18, the showdown of the prophets of Baal and Elijah. And as soon as Jezebel heard about it, what did she say? You know, she made her threat against Elijah and said, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him out. And one thing that the Lord showed me this week is when she spoke that, that was a summoning of witchcraft to come against him. And I really believe that what, what caused Elijah to suddenly go from that triumphal place of just an amazing miracle of God and what he did to, to conquer the prophets of Baal to then feeling sorry for himself and, and sulking and wanting to die is the intimidation and the wave of witchcraft that came over him that flowed out of Jezebel's mouth with a whole lot of other forces. And we have to be really careful. We can't ride in a human sense, as Greg was saying, you know, that the, the, the Philistine armies looked at it humanly, and it's, it's something that's so easy to do. But each and every day, we have to cast down imaginations and make sure that our thoughts, our thoughts are right, our thoughts are straight. Um, I know a lot of believers right now that are, they're not even seeing, because it's so subtle when you begin to agree with lies. It can seem so prudent and so wise to take all these steps and, and distance and things like that. And I'm not saying there isn't wisdom in that. But we always have to do a check. Is it the wisdom of God or is it the wisdom of man? Is it a spirit lens, mind of Christ thinking? Or is it just human common sense that really just feels good to agree with? Be careful what you agree with in your thought life. Because depending on where the Lord takes you, I mean, look at Saul. That, that happened time and time again in Saul's life. His agreement 
with the suggestion of the, the Philistine army's plan, other than God delivering them through David, would have been a, a disaster because of having anybody else there. And God does fight for us. He does fight for us. So many times, I know many of us can share so many situations where we've made stupid decisions. Oh, God, how did you get me out of that? God is so faithful and he's so good. But it really, so much of this story, I guess I was looking and listening to it from through the lens of our thought life. David just, he was, he was not moved by circumstances. He was not moved by the giant, by the size, by the, a lack. He probably had no self-awareness of what he wasn't equipped with humanly because he knew his God. He knew every day how, what that fellowship was like and that it was so not about him, but it was about who God is. And that if God prompted him and, and burned that fire within him, that he would only give him the victory if he gave him the urge and the battle and, and the desire to take on this battle. And so check your thoughts. Um, I think of that children's song, and I'll just say this last because I'm going to pray, but, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. There, there are things that we absorb that we don't sometimes even know that we absorb. And we have to make sure we're heightened. Uh, Paul and, well, I think it's in, in Peter, he says, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. The only way we cannot be ignorant is by soaking in the Holy Spirit and, and having him make us aware. But we are to be aware. Where are you beginning to think in this human realm? We are to be citizens of heaven, kingdom dwellers. And I'm more and more, God has been just teaching me, and it's difficult to, to tear down old paradigms and rebuild new ones. And um, it, it's sad, I was saying this to Greg on the way to church this morning, that um, why is so, it's such a foreign concept? And why everyone is such in awe of people like the team going over to Nigeria? Why it's so, um, so unusual to be that sold out, humanly speaking? Yeah. And, and that's really what's wrong with the church. Yeah. Is for, for somebody being on fire for God and being sold out, and not thinking like this world, not thinking with human plans and not thinking like that, is such a rare, such an uh, uh, um, odd, and, and yet it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It's, it's like it's all throughout the Word of God, but we don't look at these famous stories in a real practical, current context. So thank you for that. That was so, so good. And whoever said that you couldn't get something brand new from David and Goliath? There's just layers and layers there. So I'm going to pray, and then I want to say a couple things by the way of announcement. So, Father God, we just love you. We praise you, God. I thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for just the power of your word to deliver an amazing message, God, through your Holy Spirit. Because on its face, there's so much that's missed, clearly. We need that deep revelation, that eye-opening revelation through your Holy Spirit. So thank you, God. I pray that you drive this message home by all who hear it. Let us listen again and again and not miss. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. God, we want to hear you, God. The battle is upon us. It is intensifying. We need your power. We need the authority that you have given us to fight Satan's strategies, to fight the witchcraft, to fight these, the onslaught, this war against our minds and our thoughts. Let us cast them down. Because the, 
The warfare is in, and the tearing down of these strongholds is in Christ Jesus. It is mighty only through Christ Jesus by your spirit. So I thank you for that. Lord, just um, take us from this place today with just uh, a deep um, beginning of more that you want to say to us. And we just love you and we give you the praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um,